Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 87. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, some days we wish we could have a meal that would fill us up for days. Then we could save time and energy from having to eat constantly. Sometimes we wish that idea worked in our spiritual lives. Just give us our fill so we're good for a few days at least. Often, that plan doesn't work out the way we hope. Life gets in the way, and at best, our spiritual lives are like grabbing a Pop-Tart as we sprint out the door. But believe it or not, there is hope even in those moments. Check it out. So you ever skipped a meal? You ever maybe get to lunchtime and you're either super busy or you're just not hungry and you just skip out and I'll deal with it later or you just plain forget? That's usually where it kind of goes for me. If I can't get in the zone. What about two meals? Usually busy doesn't get us skipping all the way, not having anything until we have get to dinner. Maybe we, you got a medical test coming up or you're doing some other intentional fast. It's probably not going to be a life-altering thing to skip two meals, but by that point you maybe start to notice it a little bit. Start to get that stomach growling, start to get a little bit grouchier. I think of those Snickers commercials of people being just transformed because they're hungry, and some days that's what it can be like. Carry it on for days or weeks, and it may end up getting to be life-altering. Put you in the hospital, even. And by the same token, the same sort of thing can happen spiritually, where maybe if we feel lonely, or if we are at the end of our rope, or it just doesn't feel like, any, like there's any hope. The thing about these kinds of situations, similar to physical hunger, is it is an equal opportunity event. Those unsettling feelings, those hunger pains, can hit the unbeliever just as easily as it can the believer. And yet in today's story, or today's conversation, if you will, the two ideas sort of merge together. And we see something that will prevent us from getting hungry. Maybe not in the physical sense, but at least in the spiritual sense. Coming out of John's Gospel, John 6. And and food has been kind of a theme in this chapter so far. Because Jesus has, uh, at this point, he's fed the 5,000 with basically an offering plate worth of food. And people are asking for a sign, like, that wasn't enough for them. And it gets to this part of the conversation. Jesus said to them, to the people who are arguing, looking for a sign from him, very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, Give us this bread always. Now, these people, coming from the long line of Israelites who were back in the Exodus story that we were talking about with the kids, they have sort of this love-hate relationship with bread. Because after they had been brought out of Egypt, out of slavery, they're journeying through the wilderness for 40 years getting to the promised land. They end up having this extra long journey now because they had been not exactly so faithful with God. It's basically a desert. 
when we think of wilderness, think of a desert. And there's not a whole lot of sustenance out there for the bodies. And God gets that. God designed the body. He knows that the body needs food, needs nourishment to make it through uh, such a journey. And so he blesses them with manna, with this stuff that almost looks like snow. Blessing as it was in the wilderness, it doesn't exactly look like the yummiest stuff in the world. And even if you throw in a little bit of quail, after 40 years, I don't think there's enough hot sauce in the world to make this stuff taste interesting. But it kept them alive when there wasn't a whole lot of other options. If you want to complain about it, God might say, go hunt down some sand. Not much better. But go figure, Israel decided to complain. Which just goes to show, God did not give his people manna because they were some great nation. Because they deserved it or were awesome morally or Let's go even more base level. They, didn't even, they weren't even thankful. And they're going before Moses and Aaron, who are leading this journey through the wilderness, and be like, you know what? We should have just stayed in slavery. At least there we had the three squares a day. Now God's going to bring us out here to starve. And even when he's not going to bring us out to starve, he's going to give us that stuff. Come on. God rather blessed them with this food to keep them alive Because he's a God of love. He did it because of who he is, not because of who they were. Let's time travel that idea forward about 3,000 years to remind ourselves that God blesses because of who he is, not because of who we are. Now this is a collective statement just as much as it is an individual statement. But in love, God gave his people daily. Because the manna would go bad. You could not store it up. You couldn't gather it up and think, all right, we'll just hang on to it and we'll hoard our resources as the song had we, that we sang earlier. So it got God's people coming to him daily as God would design it to be. I mean, God being a God of love, a God of relationship, relationships generally work best when there's sort of this daily interaction, this closeness. Rather than, okay, we're going to get our fill as much as we can on one day and then just not see each other for the next six months. But it even goes beyond manna. Think about it this way. It's been seven days now. Has anybody eaten since the chili cook-off last Sunday? Finally. It took five days, but Jerry finally got an appetite back. Amidst all that caloric goodiness, eventually we need more. We need nourishment. It only lasts us so long. And God designed a great body, but he didn't stop there. So you see, as we go on to the next verse, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Like I said, they've been looking for these signs of why Jesus has the authority to say the kinds of things that he is. They're looking for these miracles, these signposts to prove who he is, even after he fed the 5,000 with so little food. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and anyone who comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You know, I think God's been doing this setup in the Exodus story. 
where manna first comes along, when the idea of God providing sustenance daily first comes along. Because, again, God gets our need for physical food. He understood that with the Israelites in the wilderness. And so he provided bread. He provided manna. And it almost sort of sets up this idea that God knew we would need spiritual nourishment, spiritual sustenance. And so he gave us Jesus. And as we get in, we start off this new season of Lent, when we're, as we're approaching the time when the bread of life changes human history, we're going to camp out in John's gospel and look at some of those phrases that Jesus uses to describe himself, to let us know who he is. And here he describes himself as the bread of life, the bread that gives life, the bread that feeds in a way that people don't grow hungry. But there's another sort of setup going on, if you will. Because as the manna story is going on back in Moses' time, the way people would have this relationship with God, even though they messed up, disobeyed, sinned, reconciliation, being made right again, involved this whole system of sacrifices. Whether it was animal or crop or any of another dozen ways that this would work out. There's this whole system about you would sacrifice and that sacrifice would be the cost or would pay the cost of whatever sin people had committed. And the idea is this would be going on fairly regularly, if not daily. You know, a person might offer a sacrifice and it would cover a certain sin or a certain disobedience and then they'd go and do something else and they'd have to sacrifice again to sort of account for that. Well, I think God got to the point, point. I'm going to use a little bit of creative license here so this doesn't have book, chapter, and verse to it. But eventually God looked at the system of sacrifices and said, you know what, no more. We're going to ditch this whole system thing that is so complicated that even reading it all at one time just makes your head spin. All right, we're going to do this once and for all. One and done. And he sent Jesus to be that one-time sacrifice for all time, to cover all our disobediences, before Moses' time, into ours, and for generations yet to come. See, previously, God would provide sustenance that would expire, if you will. The manna would only be good for one day, except for the Saturday, I believe it was, where you could actually store up enough for two days because you wouldn't give it on Sunday, or however the days worked out. The sacrifices, their validity, if you will, sort of expired. You would eventually have to do another sacrifice to account for sin. Now, he has a sustenance that never expires. That doesn't mean we don't have to come before him daily and feed and get nourishment. But the good thing is God's fine with that. God doesn't hold it against us that we keep having to come to him to be forgiven, to be fed, to be nourished. As we see in the last two verses out of this story. Verses 39 and 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is indeed the will of the Father, of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them on the last day. Now here's the good news for the believer. This idea of needing nourishment regularly, spiritually speaking, it's not a salvation issue. It's a health issue. We need to, 
ask for forgiveness daily because let's face it, it doesn't take long after our feet have hit the floor off the bed that we've probably done something that we need to ask for forgiveness for. If I'm the only one in that boat, well, I'm probably in that boat enough for all of us together. Trust me, just ask the kids. But even though we need to do that regularly, it's not like we need to keep inviting Jesus into our hearts as though Jesus bolted at the first sign of disobedience. I'm going to go back to verse 37. Anyone who comes to me, Jesus says, I will never drive away. It doesn't take long after we've come to Jesus that we sin, that we mess up, that we disobey. He says, even in that, I won't drive them away. It's like the idea of this phrase that somehow freaks everybody out, born again. Which is basically a term describing the moment we accept Jesus, the moment the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, that instant of faith, if you will. But let's fit that into the metaphor that we're talking about here. Because we are born once, physically, and yet we need to constantly be nourished with food. Otherwise, we're not going to last very long. That's just a human being thing. Now, mothers are going to really get this image best. Guys, we just can't compete. Don't even try. But moms have to feed children three, four, five times a day. But could you imagine a mom giving birth three times a day, each and every day? That might be a bit disturbing. Same idea. We come to faith once. Jesus comes into our life once, but we are still needing to be fed, to be nourished regularly. So how do we make this play out in our lives now that I've given you that image to hang on to? Well, I hope this gives you at least kind of a moment of in your life. Because not every get-together that we have with God is a five-course meal. Sometimes it's bread and water. Sometimes it's a PB&J on the run. Life just happens and that's sort of all we can get. And that's okay on occasion. If it weren't, I'd be leading the charge of those that are in trouble because some days PB&J is the best I can do. When you can, yes, have a sit-down meal with God. When you can actually set the stage, read, pray, spend some time with God. But if the day sort of dictates on you, each day this week, at least grab a PB&J with God. Now, it won't, we can't last forever on PB&J as much as Leah will decide to try and argue with me on this. So, you know, get this down when you can. But here's the trap I don't want you to fall into. To think, well, I can't have a sit-down meal with God, so I'm just not going to do anything at all. Or even worse, I can't have a sit-down meal with God and I couldn't have one yesterday or the day before, and I'm so awful, and I totally stink at this, so I'm just going to totally give up to- completely, not try and connect with God at all. Both traps. If a PB&J is the best we can do, have a PB&J. And even in that, may you taste and see that the Lord is good. Thanks again for listening to the Woodland Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Woodlane Newark. If you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. See you next week on the Woodlane Worship Podcast.